Morning, Christ Church. We are in a summer series going through the Psalms, and um, during that time, uh, there's been a number of different people who have preached through the Psalms, myself, uh, Corey Tabor, uh, Bill Walker, and others, and um, you know, Father Cliff, he's still on sabbatical right now, so we are blessed and privileged this morning to have Sarah Smith uh, coming to preach and to deliver God's word to us. Many of you know Sarah, but if you're newer to the church, you might not. Um, she and her husband, Drew, and their three kids for a long time have been members of Christ Church. Sarah felt a call into the ministry and became a deacon back in 2018. And then um, this past year, took a job uh, working at Church of the Cross, our sister church in town, as their associate rector, and became a priest uh, here in September of this past year. So we are delighted and blessed. I've often said Sarah is one person that if I had to just draw a name of who is someone that I think understands God's word best, um, Sarah would be on the very short list of people that I know that, um, that fits that description. So we are blessed and honored to have you this morning. If you would come forward and let me pray for you as we prepare to hear your preaching. Lord Jesus, thank you for the ways that you have called and equipped Sarah and each and every one of us. You call us, you equip us, and you send us out into your world as ambassadors of good news that Jesus really is raised from the dead, and that changes everything. This morning, would you take the message you have prepared that Sarah has been working on in collaboration with the Spirit, listening to you, and then delivering to us, the people of Christ Church, would you take that message, and would it be like golden light coming from her mouth, the light of the Spirit into our hearts, that we would see you more clearly, Lord Jesus. That's our deep desire. Help us to see you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Good morning, Christ Church. It is a joy to be with you again this morning. Actions have consequences. That's how scholar Bernard Anderson summarizes wisdom psalms, like our Psalm 49 this morning. Often these actions and consequences have to do with obeying the Torah, and the wisdom of such obedience. But here, in our passage today, the psalm is addressed not just to the faithful, but to all people. If we were to summarize Psalm 49, which we just prayed, we might end up with something like, you can't take it with you. And that's good advice on the whole. In fact, none of us are surprised by the wisdom these lines of these lines, and maybe have chided or encouraged someone with these exact sentiments. To the grounded child, actions have consequences, says the parent. To the person who has been saving some fancy treat, a bottle of scotch, a bar of chocolate, some seasoning or condiment from a faraway place, the friends ready to enjoy gently remind their potentially hoarding friend, you know, you can't take it with you. <laughs> but if we dig a little deeper and take a closer look at Psalm 49, I wonder what we might emerge with beyond actions have consequences and you can't take it with you. Is there something more here or is this taking up space that could be better replaced with a tweet? I invite you to turn to Psalm 49 in your Bibles, and at times I'll have a few verses from the ESV version of the psalm on the slides. But together, let's consider a few things captured in these verses. One, fear of the wealthy. Two, 
man in his pomp. And three, the ransom of a life. First, fear of the wealthy. We begin with verses 5 and 6, which read, Why should I fear in times of trouble, when the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me, those who trust in their wealth and boast of the abundance of their riches? We read later in verse 16 the encouragement to be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. Our passage seems to, at times, and at the onset especially, be speaking of the wealthy as boastful, unjust cheaters. In that later verse, however, it appears there's no particular judgment, just that a man becomes rich. Either way, the psalmist seems to draw out the temptation towards fear of the wealth of others. It doesn't strike me as obvious, the fear he is naming here. None of you sat down this morning, and when a person came and sat next to you with nice shoes, maybe a bespoke suit, or intriguing jewelry, you didn't sit there and do a terrified double take. (laughs) You didn't stiffen or stifle the urge to cry out in fear. So what is the fear our psalm is helping us to combat? Our gospel reading today in Luke 12 is in many ways this psalm in action. In fact, the entire chapter of Luke 12 is a rich exploration of our themes today. So while I hope you won't leave confused, I do hope you might leave a little intrigued, intrigued enough to let those passages talk to one another and the Spirit speak to you outside of our shared time together this morning. We won't get to go through our whole gospel reading, but let's at least look back at the setup. We read in verse 13, Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. If you've heard me preach before, you will likely know that I love the works of the late scholar Kenneth Bailey, and I'll glean from some of his historical insights today, but I couldn't pass up this gem he wrote in response to our gospel passage. Throughout Jesus' ministry, no one succeeded in giving him the right answer and pressing him to accept it. It's a good reminder for us, for me. So here's this man trying to get Jesus to enforce his right answer. Their father died without any kind of will. And while the brothers might reasonably split such an inheritance... Legally, in that place and time, they could only divide it when the older brother agreed to do so. Jesus cares deeply about justice, including financial justice. He talked a lot about money. He celebrated with Zacchaeus when he said he'd pay back multiples of what he cheated others as their tax collector. And yet, here's someone saying, I want intervention so that I am not subject to this unjust cheater Who so happens to be my brother? Jesus responds differently here. And we heard that in our gospel reading, but it's maybe because of that difference, we might be tempted to to dismiss this man's plea as petty. But I want us to hear his fear, the fear from our psalm, as well as our own. It's the kind of fear that comes from recognizing someone who I believe 
does not have my best interest at heart has power over me that is consequential. There is some level of protection or security, some level of validation or public worth that I am denied. And that denial will make my life measurably harder. It's the unjust boss or the slick coworker you have no way to report and no way to work around. It's the healthy doctor who lacks compassion and care for your illness. It's the married person with children who is quick with the advice or in turn dismissive when it comes to dating or trying to get pregnant. It's the ones who have gone through hard things like job loss, child rearing, relational wounds, or seasons of feeling adrift in the world. They've gone through it and have come out the other side only to forget what it felt like in their treatment of others. The harsh pastor, the exacting elders of the church, family, or workplace. And yes, it's sometimes the wealthy who are able to keep people in or out of their circles of influence, able to keep more than their share of the inheritance with ease. And if you think I'm picking on you, I picked all categories in which I would fall into. <laughs> this is a word for me as much as anyone else. Each of us experiences moments where we are vulnerable to others, at the mercy of what they do with their wealth and status, and moments where others are vulnerable to us. I think that's in part why the psalmist begins with calling all to listen. Give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. The wisdom of this psalm is that it names that fear, that we are tempted to fear people who have power over us. We are sometimes afraid of what happens if we don't get ours, whatever we perceive that to be. The wisdom of this psalm names it and then has us look ahead Look at what that accumulation of power ultimately gets us. The grave. The sons of Korah sing in verse 10, Even the wise die, the fool and the stupid alike must perish and leave their wealth to others. Their graves are their homes forever, their dwelling places to all generations, though they called lands by their own names. There is no wealth or honor that makes you invulnerable to death. Wisdom here is to consider ourselves and our fellow man, whether wealthy or poor in comparison, in light of our shared mortality. The psalmist helps us remember that even someone wealthy enough to build a rocket to space and to escape gravity of Earth will still not escape the gravity of death. But that's not all our psalm does. We'll continue the brief look into another theme of our passage, man and his pomp. We read in verse 12. I love this ESV version. Man and his pomp will not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. And in verse 20, man and his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beasts that perish. I wish I could read your minds at this moment and just kind of scan your thoughts as you consider the word pomp. 
I am curious what comes to mind. <laughs> and maybe that we immediately think of the word pompous, someone irritatingly grand. Maybe you're quite creative and you think of a, you know, giant Marie Antoinette style pompadour, an irritatingly grand hairstyle. Um, in general, though, my guess is that for many of us, pomp is a negative word. But definitionally, this is a positive word. Pomp most succinctly means a kind of public display of splendor. In the Hebrew, this is most frequently translated as honor followed by preciousness. Sometimes it's translated as splendor and other times as prized. And while it may be e easy to read into this a kind of pure vanity, man and his pomp, what we are given here is actually drawing us to consider man as honored, as prized, as different from the other creatures of this world, as image bearers. We're not only to consider ourselves and one another in light of our shared mortality, we are also to consider ourselves and one another in light of our shared value, our preciousness. Just as you did not sit down and fill with terror at your wealthy neighbor, you might also have sat down and failed to miss the inherent pomp of your neighbor. You might have missed their honor, their splendor. We'll get to pass the piece later, so if you missed it then, take note. And yet there is something wrong in this picture painted in the psalm. The splendor, the honor, the image-bearing cries out that we should not die like the beasts that perish. The psalm speaks both to the seeming inevitability of the grave, and yet it is interspersed with these verses and these words like pomp, and we'll explore more in a minute, themes like ransom that send up flares in the night that it should not be so. The Eastern Orthodox priest, Father Alexander Schmemann, wrote, Christianity is not reconciliation with death. It is the revelation, the exposure of death. And it reveals death because it is ultimately a revelation, a disclosure of life. Christ is this life. And only if Christ is life is death what Christianity proclaims it to be namely the enemy to be destroyed, not a mystery to be explained. Religion and secularism, by explaining death, give it a status, a rationale, making it normal. Only Christianity proclaims it to be abnormal, and therefore truly horrible. As we consider that abnormality and its horror, you might be like me, drawn to keep looking at those verses and wondering, so how do I remain? Is that an option? How do we gain understanding that might distinguish us from the beasts that perish? And I think that's exactly the intrigue this psalm aims to create. This is sung to all people, not just Jerusalem. And in it, it uses not Yahweh's name, but the more general word for God, Elohim. People are being drawn, 
People far and wide are being drawn into some wisdom they can understand, some part they can agree with. We all die. Humanity has something special. And then they are introduced to some wisdom that eludes them. How to access a different way, access a different end. And I want us to hold those questions, those questions of remaining and understanding as we consider our final theme, the ransom of a life. In verses 7 and 9, we read, 7 to 9, Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice, that he should live on forever and never see the pit. And in verse 15, But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, the grave, for he will receive me. The sons of Korah, writing for their expanded audience here, give a glimpse at both the expected and unexpected. Yes, we know no one can give to God the price of his life. My stepdad passed away from an aggressive and rare form of brain cancer when I was 22. A Hollywood star, whose name I'm betting every adult in this room would know if I shared it, also had his father pass away from the same type of cancer prior to my stepdad's passing. Because it is so rare, my mom was in touch with his mom. They were talking about different treatment options. What did they try? Things we could try. But it's worth noting that neither of our dads survived. His money and status did not buy his dad a different outcome than mine. There is no cost that could have been paid to a doctor, much less God, for our dad's lives. No man can ransom another, nor himself. As an aside, my husband, Drew, I often invite him to read my sermons ahead of time and think with, on me, or think with me on a few things. And uh, even though we were together, we were dating and got married during this period of time, he said, I never knew that. And we talked about it for a few minutes. And I said, well, because it didn't matter. You know, at any other season of life, maybe a connection to a superstar would matter. It means, it meant nothing to me then. It means nothing to me now. It doesn't change the end. And yet here is the startling verse 15. But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. That, in the context it was written, that was different that God would pay some price, that God would ransom the psalmist from death and receive him. I had us hold those two notions from earlier, that remaining or enduring and that understanding, and I like to picture someone who is not an Israelite hearing the song and asking the singers or some other Israelite nearby the same questions that we have. How might I remain? How might I understand? And I like to imagine the Israelite replying with the words of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. 
But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am Yahweh who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight. Both like Jesus' parables from our gospel reading and other ways, but also this song, the psalm, there's something about it that invites us to draw in, invites us to ask questions, invites us to know the living God. That it's not about knowing a particular precept. It is about knowing Yahweh. We're invited to understand, to remain in that knowledge of him, the God who reveals himself and desires to pay the cost on our behalf. In one translation of our psalm, the verses about man and his pomp are translated identically. Remaining and understanding are brought together in the word abide. Man cannot abide in his pomp. Man cannot abide in finding during life inside of this pomp, but God will rescue him. The psalmist's habitation, his home, will not be the grave, nor his own inherent splendor. Rather, his home will be with God, the one who will receive him. If you've been in church and awe and you hear the word abide, you already know where I'm going. <laughs> yes, we receive that man cannot abide in his pomp and that what we can understand and try to remain in is knowledge of God, but we meet that fulfillment in the person of Jesus, who said to his disciples, Abide in me, and I in you. Abide in my love. I believe our psalm today has more to offer than actions have consequences, and you can't take it with you. In the late 1700s, a Polish rabbi, Sima Bunim, said that everyone ought to have two pockets. In one pocket, there should be kept a piece of paper that reads, For my sake, the world was created. Man in his pomp. In the other pocket, there should be a paper that reads, I am only dust and ashes. We do not fear the wealthy. We remember our mortality. The idea was to take out each paper as the occasion might necessitate and reflect on them as we need reminding of our place in God's creation. Psalm 49 captures the wisdom of this, the pomp and the circumstance, as it were, and yet it points us to a third piece of paper, necessitating a third pocket, one I imagine is closer to the chest, one that reminds us that we are ransomed by God, and that he is our dwelling place, the one we seek to know and understand. Abide in Christ, reads that third piece of paper. Do you feel rich this morning, secure? Do you feel poor and lacking? Are you tempted to spend your days protecting or pursuing wealth and power? or to preoccupy yourself with the wealth and power of others. <clears throat> Incline your ear, says the psalm. 
This morning, we will approach the table of our ransomer. We will come together and stand side by side. And as we stand there, none of us are rich enough to ransom ourselves. None of us have that reason to boast. We are all dependent on receiving from his table the bread of life. And as we stand there side by side, none of us are hopelessly poor. For we have been received by God, ransomed by his precious blood shed for us. None of us have anything to fear. Be not afraid. So let us draw near together, abiding in Christ as he abides in us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.